Well, good morning. It's good to see you um, today and to be back um, on, I was going to say in the pulpit, but behind the lectern um, in St. John's. If you're just joining us for the first time this week, you've joined us at a good time because we're just beginning a, a new series in 1 Corinthians. So let me encourage you to have that open as we begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on page 1153 there. Um, and as we do so, as we open that up, I want you to do a bit of imagination today. You know, many of you know that I'm the youth insurance worker um, in St. John's, and so most of my time is spent getting kids to imagine things, to get them really into the text of the Bible, to help them to see the story, to feel the story. So I want you to imagine you've just joined the orchestra, right? The London Philharmonic has put out the call for musicians. They're really struggling at the moment, and they need you to come and join them. Now, you might be thinking, great, I get to show off my, my musical skills and abilities. Or perhaps, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh, no, this, that's the worst thing that could happen to me. I, I, the only thing I can possibly think about playing is the triangle, right? And so you head down there, and you, they've asked you to meet them at the, uh, the Royal Albert. And uh, you meet the conductor at the door, a man named Vladimir Jurovsky, who I looked up on the internet. And I'm uh, not that much of a cultural vulture. And uh, he gives you the tour, right? He starts taking you around all the different sections of uh, the orchestra. He says, here are the, the woodwind uh, section, and here's the, uh, the percussion section. We're not worried too much about them. Here's the string section. But as he introduces you to the, the various different musicians, you, you get the impression that he's really itching to move on. He really wants to go to the next Things. He's actually not that interested in all of these sections. And he says to you, as, as you're moving on from the last one, now we're going to get to the really good stuff, right? We're going to go and see the, the best section. Because all those musicians, they're okay, but they're sort, of, they're sort of tier two in the orchestra. Really, to be in the top tier, you want to play the bassoon, right? I'm going to take you to see the bassoonists, Okay. And he takes you in and he introduces you to the, the, two, the second and third bassoon. And then with reverent awe, he introduces you to the principal bassoonist. And this man is just the, the most talented, virtuosic musician in Vladimir's eyes that there could ever be. And then he says to you, um, what have you come to play today? And you say, the triangle. He says, right, well, off you go, back to sit at the back with the percussionists. Um, and you feel a bit put out right? You feel like, well, you know, come on, Mr. Conductor, I've come down here, I've put the effort in. I'm, I'm here, aren't I? Aren't I in some way on par with the bassoonist? He says, no, off you go. You're, you're at the back. Or perhaps you're, you're thinking, well, do you know what? I better start getting bassoon lessons, right? I want to be the top tier. I want to play um, the bassoon. Or maybe you're just thinking, well, you know what? Stuff this. I'm just going home. I'm not going to play the triangle. Well, that's exactly what's going on in the Corinthian church. Well, perhaps not exactly, because I don't think they had the bassoon back then, but it's pretty similar, right? They had this two-tier spirituality. It's amongst many other problems. So you see, they've written a letter to Paul, and Paul's been addressing them from chapter 7 onwards. He starts saying, now concerning the matters you wrote to me, you know, concerning this, now concerning that. We get to chapter 12, and it's now concerning spiritual gifts. 
it seems in the Corinthian church, there was this two-tier spirituality whereby you were only really spiritual, you were only really part of the church if you could speak in tongues. That was their touchstone of, of true spirituality, their sign that you had arrived, that you had the Holy Spirit, that you were on this higher plane of spirituality. And then there was the kind of vanilla, bog-standard Christians, the ones who, who were Christians but didn't have the Holy Spirit and, and didn't have this gift of tongues. Now, that kind of teaching might sound a bit familiar to us because it still exists today, the kind of two-tier Christianity. No, it's, it's not um, articulated in that way. People certainly, or most people, churches that teach this certainly don't set out to create a, a two-tier spirituality, but inevitably, that's what we get. That's what happens. It's the idea that some Christians, well, they've got the Spirit as evidenced by the, the gift of tongues, and some um, don't. This is some official teaching from, for example, the Pentecostal church, who say that subsequent to conversion, or sorry, Holy Spirit baptism is subsequent to conversion, but logically distinct, and always accompanied by speaking in tongues. That's the official teaching of the, the Pentecostal church. Perhaps you've experienced this yourself. Perhaps you've been in a church like this. I know that there are people here who, who have. Andy, our own minister, has experienced this, and he, he, when he speaks of it, he talks of the pain that that led to with this two-tier church, the inner circle of spirit Christians and then the vanilla bog-standard Christians. That's the danger of this teaching, is that it creates a, a select group. It creates an inner circle. It also means that, well, th those who aren't in the inner circle, well, they, they won't feel like really part of the church and, and won't really want to get involved in the church and won't want to use their gifts because, well, their gifts aren't valued. Playing the triangle Christians seemingly aren't, aren't valued. Or perhaps even worse, you'll feel like, perhaps I'm not really a Christian at all because if I don't have this gift, I don't have the Holy Spirit and therefore I must not be saved. In other words, what this kind of teaching does is it divides the church. And the church divided is no church at all. So as Paul writes these, um, this passage to the Corinthians, it's really a corrective passage. Now concerning spiritual gifts, the matters that you wrote to me, he's correcting their error of uh, thinking on, on spiritual gifts. Because what I want you to see this morning, and you'll see this on your handout, is that all Christians, all Christians have the Spirit, and all Christians are gifted by God to build the church. Pick up your Bibles um, with me. We're in chapter 12. It's on page 1153, if you need to uh, look it up again. And I want you to look at, at verse 1. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant, because seemingly they are ignorant on this issue. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I wrestled with these verses for a while because it sounds like a really confusing way to start his argument about these spiritual gifts. Surely you would just go straight in and say, you think this and you're wrong because of that, right? But if the argument is that only some people have received the Holy Spirit in the Corinthian church, well, then this makes perfect sense because essentially what Paul is saying to them is that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. He uses the kind of universal experience of people. Look at at verse 2. When you were pagans, that is Gentiles, same word used for Gentiles, people who are outside of uh, God's promised people, you were led astray. And then he says, no one who's speaking by the Spirit says Jesus be cursed, or literally Jesus is cursed, which was a common phrase amongst Jewish communities at the time. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So only those who are Christians can confess wholeheartedly that Jesus is Lord. Surely Jesus is Lord is the most basic of confessions of Christianity. It is, therefore, it's not evidenced by some sort of miraculous ecstatic gifts. It's evidenced by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So all Christians have the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you believe in Jesus, if you are a Christian, let me encourage you with the fact that you have the Holy Spirit within you. You're not waiting for another sign that he's there. You're not waiting to receive some sort of mystical experience that he's there. He is within you. Anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord has um, the Spirit. Just the most basic profession of faith. Well, imagine we're back at the, uh, the London Philharmonic now. And this time, as you walk in, you meet Vladimir Jarovsky at the door, and he says, ah, welcome back. I've got a present for you. And uh, he produces this large case. I, I don't really know what size they are, but he gives you a bassoon, right? And you're thinking, yes, this is it. Now I've got the bassoon. I am a bassoonist. I've reached that level, okay? And then you take your place in the orchestra and sort of, you know, you're talking to the people around you, and you look to your left, and you look to your right, and everyone's got a bassoon. You think, what, what's, what's going on here? I thought, you know, I had reached uh, up there. Why, why has everyone got the bassoon? And you don't have time to question this, because the conductor takes his place on the, the plinth, and uh, he raises his hand and does, does whatever it is conductors do, and... Uh, this cacophony of bassoon music just bellows out. And it is an absolute nightmare. There's people scrambling um, for the exit, apart from the few bassoon nuts in the audience. And uh, it's just this discordant mess of a noise, right? Now, the same would be true of the church if everyone had the same gift and used it at the same time. So it, Paul's strengthening his argument by saying, if everyone has the same gift, well, the church isn't going to be very diverse. In fact, it's, it's not going to be very good for anybody, not a good experience at all. So not only do all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gives diverse gifts to all Christians. Do you ever play um, the, the Bible version of, of Where's Wally? Do you ever play that? You know, in the Old Testament, it's, it's Where's Jesus? How does each story... Um, point to him, and in the New Testament, where's the Trinity? Did you ever play that one? No? Just me. Okay. Um, look at verse 4, right? Look at verse 4. We're going to have a game of where's the Trinity here, okay? 
Look at verse 4. It says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. There are different kinds of working, but the same God, the Father, works all of them in all men. Now, it's, it's not by accident that Paul mentions the Trinity here or alludes to the Trinity um, here. He's saying, essentially saying God is diverse in himself. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit and, and vice versa, right? But, but none of them is any less God. And so he says, these gifts are diverse, but none of you are any less part of the church. His argument's grounded in God himself. Now, we're, we're going to, um, to move on to the, the juicy part of the passage, right? The bit that you've, you've all been waiting for in verse 7 uh, and on. Um, the bit with the explanation of all the gifts, right? The bit that we've been waiting for. We've heard about they come from God. We've heard we've all got the Holy Spirit. But, but what are they, right? Let's look at the verse 7 now. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. Now, the commentator, Anthony Thistleton, gives 53 pages of commentary on these verses alone. That's about six pages per gift mentioned here, right? And so over the next couple of hours, I could uh, illuminate some of these things for you. But if I were to do that, well, I would have missed the point of the passage, right? Paul's not looking to give an exhaustive um, explanation of all the gifts because he just mentions them and then moves on. Similarly, this is not an exhaustive list of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit because it's one amongst many in, in Paul's letters. In fact, there comes one at the end of the chapter as well. Actually, we, so we don't want to miss um, the wood for the trees. The reason he highlights these ones is because these are of particular concern to the Corinthian Christians. Do you notice where tongues comes on the list? It comes last. It's as if he's saying to them, you put this first, you've got it in the wrong place. You've got it wrong. Another thing to consider is if Paul had written to our orchestra... Um, commending or talking about the gift of playing the bassoon, would we be concerned about having that particular gift? Would we think that is definitely a mark, a gift of the Holy Spirit, something that should be evidenced in Christians' lives? Because what I don't want you to do is go away from today thinking, yes, I've got the Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm gifted by the Holy Spirit. Now, which one of these have I got? That would be the same as saying, do I play the bassoon? Right? This is not an exhaustive list of all um, the gifts. What Paul's seeking to do is say, look, these are all from the one spirit. They're all from God. And here's the purpose of them. Look at verse 7. To each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given 
for the common good. So is a gift to be flaunted for one's own gain? Is a gift to be used to put yourself on a higher realm of spirituality to create an inner circle within the church? No, it's for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of the rest of the church. Let me give us a, a couple of applications on this just before we move on to our next point. The first is that your gifts, your gifts are necessary for the sake of the church. That is regardless of what it is regardless of what you are gifted in doing. They are all necessary and valuable in building the church. Remember, gifts don't have to be mentioned here in order to be gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if your gift is is drama, we'll use that to build the church. If your gift is, is art, we'll use that. I'm hopeless at art, so we need people who are good at that. If it's networking, then use that. If it's spreadsheets, I'm terrible at spreadsheets. If it's spreadsheets, use those. If it's hospitality, use that. If it's sport, use that. If it's cleaning, use that. If you love cleaning, why don't you use that? If it's filling in forms or stacking chairs or if it's communication skills, use those gifts. Use them for the sake of the church. If, it's, if your gift is something that I haven't mentioned, because I can't possibly list all of the things that all of you are gifted and talented at because you are, are all so talented, well, use that. You see, the gifts that God gives to people are as diverse as God is in himself. But you're all a necessary part of the church, a valuable part of the church. The second potential application here for us is We need to remember that Paul is correcting an error for the Corinthians. The error that that some gifts make some people more a part of the church than others. And in St. John's, well, we we don't have a problem with um, a group of Christians speaking in tongues and putting themselves on a higher uh, level than than the others. It may be that you speak in tongues in in private, but we don't do it in our, our gathered meetings. And in my four years here, it certainly hasn't been a big issue. So where does this cut for us then? Where's the correction here for us? Here's a suggestion of how this might work. There are many of us in St. John's who have the gift of leadership. Most of you have a lot of responsibility, whether that be in work, in the home, a lot of you run companies or departments or you, you manage a lot of people under, underneath you. But if everyone were to bring that into the church to try and play the bassoon at the same time, so to speak, well, we're going to have a problem because everyone will want to lead the church in their own particular way. We would be like the orchestra full of bassoonists. The potential damage is the same as in in Corinth. It's that we create a a group in the church who are more part of the church than the rest of the church. And I want to say that gifts of leadership are good and necessary and praise God for you if you've got um, the gift of leadership, but not everyone is called to serve in that capacity within the church. 
In fact, the church is called to be, first and foremost, a place where we serve humbly, a place marked by humility. I've joined the gym again recently. And, uh, well, you're all thinking, yes, we can tell, Ross. <laughs> you know? Well, well if you... Okay, careful, lads. Um, if, you, if you're thinking, well, Ross, you actually still look like a melted wheelie bin, then please keep that to yourself. Okay, that's a gift to keep to yourself. Um, but as you go to the gym, right? So I've, I've been going to the gym for a number of years. Um, and I've joined again. But as, as you go to the gym, you see there are certain characters in there, right? Across every gym that you go to, there's the same people, right? The same sort of kinds of people. A lot, a lot of you are nodding at me going, yep, we know, we've seen them in the gym, right? And I want to address each of them in turn as we see that all God-gifted Christians are part of the body, right? All God-gifted Christians are part of the body. First, there are the, the out-of-shape folks in the gym, right? They're usually there after January, you know, you think, or coming around this time of year, coming up, thinking beach season's coming up, you know, sun's out, gun's out, and all that, and you know, got to lose the dad bod before I get the swimming trunks on. Um, but they're usually the ones who are kind of, they're lurking in the back, right? They've got the sort of two hoodies on and the baggy tracksuit bottoms, and they're, they're working away on the treadmill or the, what's that, the cross trainer at the back. And they, it's, the reason they're there instead of like on the big impressive shop window machines is because they feel like they don't belong, right? They feel like they, they don't belong in the church. And I know that that's how some of you feel about being in church. You think, how, how can I go there? How can I be part of that? I'm not good enough. I'm not like those other, the, the super spiritual Christians. I could never be on the inner circle of the church. And here Paul says, all Christians, regardless of your gifts, belong to the body. Look at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made of one part, but many. The foot should say, because I'm not hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So Paul's addressing the lower tier of Christians in the Corinthian church there to encourage them. To say, look, you may think of yourself as lower down the pecking order in church, but you're not. You belong to the body. The objections sound ridiculous, don't they? Because I'm not a, because my hand isn't, or my, my foot isn't a hand, I'm going to cut it off. How silly would that be? He says the same about gifts. If you think, because I've not got this gift, then I'm going to cut myself off from the body. Well, that, that's equally a ridiculous thing to think. Let me encourage you that you are part of the body. Look at verse 18. In fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is good news, isn't it? It means that you are not a second-tier Christian if you feel like you're not very spiritual. You might feel like, I, I can't do this. I'm failing God. I'm failing the church. You're still part of the body. You're not cut off from the body. I know that there are some here feeling this right now, so let me speak directly to you. If you are a Christian, you are a perfect Christian because God has given you Christ's perfection. When he sees you, he sees Christ. He has put his Holy Spirit in you. If he hadn't taken away your sins, if he hadn't made you righteous, then the Holy Spirit could not dwell within you because God cannot tolerate sin. So don't think that you're somehow second string because you don't have a particular set of gifts, because you don't see yourself in this passage. You're not second string. You are part of the body. God has put you there, and you belong in church. There is another kind of person in the gym, though. There's another kind of person there. And uh, it's the bloke who clearly loves himself, right? The guy who's there, he's in the mirrors, you know, in the weight section. He's got the string vest on, maybe a hat, which serves no purpose at all in the gym. He's there sort of checking out the, mm, checking out the muscles, watching himself as he works out like that. And they tend to think that um, the most important part of the body to train is that, the biceps, right? And they've got these massive arms. They're like cannons, right? They've got these sort of 18, 19-inch biceps, right? And you hear them boasting about them in the, in the changing rooms. You know, they're all sort of, oh, I've got uh, 17 and a half inch arms. Oh, pff, only 17 and a half. Mine are 21 inches. You know, they're, they're fools. But um, then you, you sort of take them as a whole and you realize that they've got these little tiny scrawny chicken legs, right? And they just look massively out of proportion walking around the gym with these huge arms and then these little tiny legs that if you, it looks like if you pushed them, they would snap. They look completely ridiculous. What's their problem? It is that they overemphasize one part of the body over the others. Essentially, they think that they don't need parts of the body. Again, there will be some here who think a bit like this, who think they don't need the rest of the body, the rest of the church. That the church is just something you go to, not something that you belong to. And again, Paul has a word for you. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. The argument here is that all parts of the body are needed. There's not a, a part which is there by accident, like if you cut off your big toe, then you'd be massively off balance. Look at, at verse 24 again. But God 
has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. God has brought the body together. He's brought us, the church, together. That means there isn't a part of the church that is here by, by accident. There isn't a part here which doesn't need the rest. But each part has equal concern for the others. Did you ever have a foot massage? Have you ever gone to, down to the massage parlor and got a, little, got a little foot massage? I can only get foot massages because I'm so hairy that you know, the oil would mat down. It would just not be a very pleasant experience for anybody. But you see when you, you get one of those, they're sort of rubbing, working away on this little part of your body, the, the foot, you know, but you feel completely relaxed, right? The whole body benefits from this little um, rub down on the foot, right, as they work, work through all the toes and all that. And that's the point about church here. The whole body benefits when, when somebody rejoices, everyone rejoices. It's like the foot massage, right? It means that there's, there's no competition. It's not like, oh, they've, they've done this good thing, therefore I'm very annoyed and I need to compete with them. No, there's no factionalism. There's no groups in the church that are better than others, but everyone rejoices when one rejoices. We're all one in Christ. We're all indwelt by the Spirit of God to the praise of the Father. So when you get the job, we rejoice. We're not annoyed that we didn't get the job. When you overcome sin, we rejoice with you. When she says yes to that question, we rejoice with you. When you realize how much you're loved in Christ and turn from sin to follow him, we rejoice with you and we rejoice with God. But now, the Christian life is not all skipping and lollipops while singing hymns, is it? Did you ever have a toothache? Did you ever have, I mean, most people have probably had one of those, or your wisdom teeth come in and it's, it's really sore. The chaps just over there playing on their phones are having their wisdom teeth come in right now because they clearly need them. And um, if you've got a toothache, it makes you completely miserable, right? Well, at least it does for me. I'm completely intolerable around the house when I've got the toothache. It's like, oh, woe is me. My whole body is just completely... The women are thinking, yeah, that's a problem for men, not for, for anybody else. But it makes you completely miserable, right? And again, that's what Paul's saying about the church. It all goes together. When one part suffers, we all suffer. So when you lose your job, we all feel the pain for you. When you're admitted to hospital, we are there with you. When someone you love dies, we all weep with you. When you struggle to conceive, we wait with you. When a loved one turns from Christ, when you're diagnosed with cancer, when your husband abuses you, if your spouse leaves you, church is there. We all feel that. We all feel that ache. That's why you need the church. That's why there's no division in the church. That's why the church has diverse gifts 
to deal with diverse needs. That's why the Spirit of God lives within you, to bless those in the church who are suffering and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for bringing us together. We praise you that you have rescued each of us from our various different backgrounds, but you, you have made us one in Christ, that you have arranged each member of the body and that each member has its gift and purpose. Father, help us to view ourselves rightly. Help us to see our place in the body. Help us to see our equal concern for the other parts. Help us to rejoice together. Help us to suffer together. But help us to grow together, Lord. Father, you have gifted your church now by your spirit, by his power. Help us to grow up into Christ. In his name, amen.